On this episode of the Flop House, we discuss Hellboy. Live in the Twin Cities! Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin. And where are we? We're in Minneapolis. Now, wait, are we technically in Minneapolis? Is this part of Minneapolis? Yeah, There's we're a lot of. T- yes. Okay. One of Thank my you. top three Appalises. Wow. Along with what? Indianapolis uh-huh. and Annapolis. Wow, cool. Yeah. Okay, that's the whole show. See you later. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say it's my favorite Apollos. Minneapolis. It's my favorite Apollos. Of all of them. I uh, I lived here for about four or five months just out of college. I don't know if you know this about me, Stuart, but Uh I... Is that why I saw signs of you around town that say, don't serve this man? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I came at the wrong time and left at the wrong time. I was here through most of a winter. Okay. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, put nope. that on my Wikipedia page, I guess. Yeah, and I guess moving on. I'm amazed that you got any sympathy from people who live through those winters <laughs> routinely when what you're telling them is you're a pampered city boy who had to run away back to the coasts, couldn't handle it here in the heart of the country. Yeah, I mean, New York winters are notoriously easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all icy, and if you're lucky, you break your neck and die, and you don't have to live in New York anymore. Yeah. Boo! Yeah, Boo! I mean, Take that, New York burn. I'm an Angelino now. East Coast, least coast. I will say that at least when it's when it's cold in New York, at least it doesn't smell as terrible. The, here's here's my favorite thing about New York in the winter. Wait, are we doing coast uh, <laughs> yeah. humor now? I... Humor about the coast. That's if I'm scared of the ocean. Okay. So my favorite thing about New York in the winter, and I wonder if it's the same here. I don't know what the garbage situation is like here, but seeing the garbage piling up under the snow and seeing the like urine stains on it and being like, that's gonna smell when these thaw out. <laughs> Just like seeing it being like, that's a little time bomb someone set for the spring. Uh, But normally we don't talk so much about cities. Normally we talk about movies. And for this episode, we, as I said earlier, watched Hellboy. Now, not the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy. No. Uh Or Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, also directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh But the 20... Was it this year? 2019 Hellboy. Yep, and real quick, uh, so we had to watch the movie. Um, how many people in the audience had to watch it? I mean, I'm super had sorry. To watch it. That's not... Had to watch it, government mandate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just wondering if they had to watch it, like if they were forced to because of a podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> now, we should, this is something Stuart and I are just going to mention here. We don't have to keep yakking on about it, although we would. We are both huge fans of the Hellboy comic series and the affiliated BPRD comic series, which at a certain point, it may have topped Nexus as my favorite long-running series of all time. Now, that is just to show that... Oh, look that... at all the knowing nods in the audience. Yeah, yeah. 
A lot of Mike Barron fans in the audience. Uh, but uh, And so when we were watching the movie, of course, we spent a lot of time talking about the comics, much to the bored looks of our companions. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, there was definitely a point watching the movie where they were just trading off plot lines. Like, oh, this plot line from like, Hellboy was great, right? Like, yes, this other plot line from the comics was also great. Like, great, great. I wish I was reading it instead of watching this movie. Now, there's two reasons I bring that up. One, we may be more harsh on the movie than we would be otherwise because we love the source material so much. Two, the only reason I can understand what is happening in the movie <laughs> is because I am so familiar with the source material. It is a convoluted film that oftentimes, inexplicably, will throw to a flashback rather than putting the scenes in the order you'd expect a movie to put them in. <laughs> so shall we begin to this flashback-heavy film? Uh, and that might be because, as people know, there was a or may not know, behind the scenes, it was a very uh, tumultuous post-production and production process. I don't know enough about that to go into it. So, <laughs> the movie begins... It's almost as if it wasn't worth bringing up. <laughs> Dan, if I never brought up things that weren't worth bringing up, we wouldn't have a podcast. So, Fair. we begin in media res, as Stuart likes to say, prologue. 517 AD comes up in big letters on the screen because you know what? We're just going to rip off Guardians of the Galaxy in this movie many different ways. So, 517 AD, and we get a little Ian McShane voiceovered info dump about how there was a war between people and the dark forces of whatever, and King Arthur ambushed Nimue, the Queen of Blood, played by Mia Jovovich, and used Jovovich. Jovovich. What did I say? Jovovich? Yes. Okay, I'll probably say that again. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just like, just so, just so the internet doesn't attack us, I'm just going to acknowledge that I at least understand how to say Jovovich. Wow. <laughs> I guess you won this one. <laughs> uh, King Arthur, he does what you got to do with an evil blood queen. He, dis he uh, just dismembers her with Excalibur and takes all the pieces and puts them in little boxes and says his knights to spread them across the land so they can never be found, not even by the devil. Cue so, Hellboy title card. To plant them so they can grow more Mila Jovovich. Oh, no! But it's also like, spread them throughout the land. You mean... England? Because it's, like, not that big. <laughs> like, it's conceivable you could have an England breath treasure hunt for, like, a radio station promotion, and it would not be that crazy. A lot of accents, though. A lot of accents lot for of accents. such little square footage. But it's, you have to, it's true. A lot of accents, a lot of dislike between people who live very close to each other. But it, you have to imagine, like, they're like, now it will never be found. And in the 21st century, all these warlocks are like, I gotta take a train ride? Ah. Oh. I'll never collect all these blood queen pieces. Okay. <laughs> so, and this, and this opening features a lot of that, like, like camera tricks, like slow motion and then real fast motion. Yeah. And the whole time, like, we're seeing stuff, but then Ian McShane is delivering a narration that explains exactly what we're seeing, but, like, pretty glib so that we know it's not our daddy's Hellboy movie. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> if Which our dad be... was pretty close to our same age. <laughs> yeah. If our dads were our age. So I guess this is not that this is my son's Hellboy movie. Yeah. yeah. It's not my Hellboy movie. But yeah, it's a lot of like You let him watch rated R movies now? Yeah, well I mean he's Just did, Deadpool. Just it I mean cuz Deadpool's family friendly. Yeah. Yeah, kids love it. And occasionally, I mean, like, we'll probably go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yep. what was that Cause, movie? Because uh, he likes the foot stuff, right? He, he what? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he's a huge foot fan, yeah. And, like, I mean, sometimes he's like, Daddy, can I watch some TV today? And I'm like, yeah, let's catch up on the deuce. Yeah, that'll be good, you know? <laughs> but anyway, uh, 
the point is, there's a lot of Ian McShane's like, and she was pretty pissed, so she let out this plague that killed a bunch of people. It's I love Ian McShane, and it's not the best use of him. Anyway, it's almost like he doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tijuana, present day. Hellboy, an agent of the Bureau Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. He's got to go down Mexico way to Tijuana, (laughs) as I mentioned. He's investigating a nest of vampires that's a luchador match. Uh, There was an agent named Ruiz who was down there investigating it. And at first I thought that was racist, but then it's like, you should send the guy who probably speaks Spanish to Mexico for that operation. Anyway... Ruiz has been turned and turned into a professional wrestler vampire. Hellboy's gotta fight him. And this this whole scene and much of the movie efforts has a real... I was like, oh, this is kind of the like direct-to-video sci-fi channel original Hellboy movie. Like, yeah. it's very, very rubbery and very like shot with a lot of bright neon colors. Well, it's interesting because like, you know, if you asked me if I wanted to see Hellboy fight a luchador vampire, I'd be like, hell yeah! But then I watched the movie, I'm like, why, why is this happening? This... Has no bearing on anything else. And, and then he has to... Like, uh, Ruiz goes full man-bat, and Hellboy has to kill him by impaling him on the turnbuckle. And they have a s- sad goodbye scene where Hellboy's like, come on, man, no, no, you gotta stay with me. And I was like, movie, you know I just met these characters, right? <laughs> like, I am not on board for this emotional goodbye. And it's, Ruiz gives him an ominous warning. Apparently, the end is coming. Bump, bump, bump. The end of the movie like, he wished? No. It also kind of feels like like, I wasn't quite sure, was Ruiz always a, a Batman, or what do you think? Well, a bat crashed through his window, and he uh-huh. thought... <laughs> that you know, is criminals, pretty terrifying. Criminals are a superstitious, cowardly lot, so uh-huh. I shall become a Batman. Okay. And I'll wear a luchador mask also. Okay, that makes sense. Because <laughs> criminals also are scared of luchadors. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. understandably. <laughs> you know Bruce Wayne is a rich a-hole, because when a bat crashes through his window, he's not like, ah! Oh, man. He's just like, hmm, very inspiring. Alfred, take care of the bat in our house, please. (laughs) Take care of all this glass on the ground. And you have to imagine Bob Kane just didn't want to put in the scene of Alfred chasing a bat with a broom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I want to write that story so badly now, where Alfred has to get this bat out of the house. Nope, you're a Marvel man. I am a Marvel man, that's true. Which was what Miracle Man was originally called in England. All right, let's get back to... Remember when you told me to keep us on track? (laughs) Yeah, I did. I took that before the recording, and you're doing a bad job. So, <laughs> Hellboy gets drunk because he's so sad, because he's kind of like a blue-collar slob of a superhero, and he gets picked up by BPRD agents taken to their big headquarters in the Colorado mountains. Don't get used to it. We're not going to see it again in this movie. <laughs> Hellboy is in his apartment, which has a lack of windows, which means that it looks cool, but it's probably pretty depressing to be in there a lot, yeah. and, his, and his seasonal affective disorder probably really flares up when he's at home. Yeah, and he probably can't, like... Cook any steaks on his uh, in his grill because it just gets too smoky. Yeah, there's no well, there's, yeah, there's no vent over that thing. No. no, I imagine now I imagine him in his bedroom with a George Foreman grill, just making a sad little like burger for himself. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he'll throw it in a sous vide first, and then maybe he's got like a oh, sous vide or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got the full dorm room kitchen set up. <laughs> Wait, now what kind of dorm room did you have that there was a sous vide involved? at the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, oh, okay. Dan? If you ever get a chance to eat at the student restaurant, it's really good. It's up by Rhinebeck, New York. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Hellboy is shaving down his horns. He's got stumps where the horns would be. And this is, I guess, when we start really getting a good look at his face, which uh, I think haggard might be a way to describe it. Well, his eyes are, like, sunken and skull-like. Yeah, and he's very... He's just got... He's got a real skin. Yeah, body. he's Mickey Rourke-esque. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow, okay. 
Whoa. I again, I said, yeah. I don't want Mickey Rourke coming I mean, attacking me. You know, if you want to argue with reality, guess, that's your business. Uh, I guess we can add Mickey Rourke to our list of enemies. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a long list. Anyway, Hellboy's daddy figure, Professor Broom, who is Ian McShane. Surprise, surprise. He comes in and tries to make him feel better. No, you're beautiful. I love you, honey. You're a fantastic son. Anyway, uh, he says... You've been asked to help. Oh, there's a funny part where he goes. Uh, he says something, and uh, he says like, "I think you're. I don't. I don't think you're hideous, or whatever." And uh, and Hellboy goes, "Yeah, I wish this face could talk. It would tell you something different." And I'm like, "Hellboy, your face is talking <laughs> through your mouth." <laughs> but it also makes me think, what if if walls could talk was called if faces could talk? <laughs> yeah, HBO's like, I don't think you've thought this. <laughs> could you just take it back for one more draft? Could you? Yeah. Hmm, what if it was something that couldn't talk and we were asking if it could talk? All right, yeah, let, play with that idea for a little bit. I guess I can use my imagination. <laughs> uh, Ian McShane's like, or Professor Broom is like, hey, the Osiris Society, which is kind of like a stuffy British version of what we do, they need your help fighting some giants out in, out in England. So off you go. Then we cut to a bad guy scene. The Baba Yaga, yes, the famous witch of Russian folklore that Dan thinks is Streganona, the Italian witch who has noodle powers. So she, this is the one that eats children or spaghettis. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that she grinds the children up and makes a pasta out of them, I don't know. But as everyone knows, she lives in a chicken leg house, she rides around in a big mortar and pestle, and she eats children. You know, that's, it's what your, your baba told witch you. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Typical, well, in Russia, in Russia, witch eats you. <laughs> And that's why uh, uh, he's, uh, oh, why am I forgetting his name? The comedian does that. Yakov Smirnoff. Yakov yeah, Smirnoff is eating a sandwich, and he's like, in America, I eat sandwich. In Russia, witch eat me. <laughs> I saw, by the way, I saw Yakov Stewart was really hurt by that one. <laughs> Early in my uh, time in New York, I got free tickets to see Yakov Smirnoff's Broadway show. <laughs> he is was that putting America, up. I Love You or something like that? Something like that. America, and, Let's Get Married or something like that? And I thought it would be funny. I was like, oh, this is funny. We'll see a Broadway show, Yakov Smirnoff. This is crazy. And we watched the first half, and we were like, we could leave now. <laughs> we get the idea. You left before all the nudity. In the oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bob Yaga's talking to another Hellboy baddie who we don't know who he is at the moment. We're going to find out later. He's called Gruagach or something like that. He's kind of a Gaelic pig demon. Um, they both want revenge on Hellboy. Okay, and she's like, I'll help you get revenge. <laughs> Back, now we go to England. England in big letters. Some kind of pop song on the soundtrack. Because, guys, let me tell you, let me lean on you, let you in on a hot take secret. I'm not crazy about the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movies. I love Guillermo del Toro's movies. Ever since I saw the first of his movies, I ever saw Devil's Backbone when that was released in the theaters in New York. Loved it in college. Uh, and I love so many of his other movies. Uh, uh, Shape of Water, loved it. My favorite movie that year, I think. Anyway, his Hellboy movies were a little too men in blacky for me. Uh-huh. A little too goofo, a little too wackadoodle. Yeah, like, too a, silly. like a feature-length Mos Eisley Cantina movie. Well, now you've described the greatest movie in the history of the world. <laughs> But the uh, it was like, but it was a little bit like that when they're like, oh, what can we turn into a Men in Black franchise? Hellboy. And you he was want, like, what can we turn into a Guardians of the Galaxy franchise? Hellboy. You want some more creep em ups? I want it to be more like creepy movies. So as I was saying to you while we were watching it, the scene that says Hellboy to me, there are two scenes that say Hellboy to me. One is he's, I think it's in the Conqueror Worm storyline. He's creeping around an old castle and he finds there's a cabinet that's making noises and he opens it up. There's four petrified Nazi heads that are just chattering away attached to a weird machine and he says this is the worst place in the world and I'm like 
Yeah, that's a Hellboy story to me entirely. It's super creepy. There's a lot of weird science that's never explained, and he's just like, oh, I hate this. There's, there's and the, like... the other one is the other one. I think it's Box of Evil, where he and Abe Sapien are investigating a castle. It's always castles, and a monkey jumps out with a gun, and he goes, "That monkey's got a gun," and it shoots them. Do you think? Do you think that's because Mike Mignola finds monkeys scary, or he just really likes to draw them? <laughs> Why do you have to pick? It could be yeah, both. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so. Hellboy goes to the Osiris Club and they're like, oh, we've been hunting giants for hundreds of years. We call it the Wild Hunt and we dress up in knight's armor and use spears on horseback. It's dumb. Anyway, three giants are on the loose. Look at our giant heads that we've mounted on the walls as trophies. But also, here's a lady psychic who's going to show you in a crystal ball a little flashback of how you came into the world, Hellboy. Flashback, end of World War II. Rasputin's working with the Nazis. They have a ritual that's going to bring some kind of demon to Earth to turn the tide for Hitler. They're always doing that stuff. Lucky for all of us, it didn't work out. Newsflash, Dan, they didn't win, so... Man, why are you... Yeah. Why am I being singled out? I don't, I don't understand know. what Anyway, the... that's when, surprise, surprise, out of nowhere, a different Mike Mignola character, Lobster Johnson, a never too clearly defined vigilante character who carries two guns and he can touch your head and burn a lobster claw image into your head and he wears like aviator goggles and a leather jacket he jumps out and just starts shooting everybody is he played by a probably too old for this role Thomas Hayden Church you bet he is I I love only a podcast audience are there knowing applause for Lobster (laughs) Johnson Lobster Johnson (laughs) a character who he is the one weak link for me in that world because he never lived up to his potential. Anyway, then the Osiris Club shows up. Professor Broom is there. They're there to kill whatever the Nazis brought out of hell. But it turns out it's a widow kid Hellboy. Dan, they they Dan, can't that, kill him. Dan, that comment reminds me of the time when I was in college and I went to a basement hardcore show. Uh-huh. <laughs> and in between songs, the vocalist was like, said something like about the comic book Preacher. And I remember after the show going and like, talking to him for like 20 minutes about the comic book preacher and he had the, this look on his face like stop talking to me dude somebody yeah. wants to buy merch <laughs> well that's a bit of stage chatter I'm cutting out of the act <laughs> so oh not this part you're talking yeah, yeah, okay yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. that was all news to Hellboy Hellboy didn't know any, any of that stuff he didn't know where he came from okay cut but, to- I'm sorry let's back up it's only occurring to me now why did that Seer, tell Hellboy this? Like, why? Well, this movie has two things running through it. One is, everyone is constantly on their toes that at any moment, Hellboy is going to turn into the beast of the apocalypse, take over the earth, bring hell to earth, and kill lots of people. And so they're all constantly assuming the worst of him and ready to kill him. And the other thing is, for some reason, they decide not to tell him this straight out, but instead to hint at it in ominous ways at seemingly arbitrary times, like when he's about to psych himself up for a giant hunt. So it's really like... I don't know, Dan. I guess that's the reason. Because the movie needed that information stuck somewhere, and they decided to stick it where the sun don't shine, the hidden room of the Osiris Club. Why does it? Why is there a crystal ball that he sees it in? I don't know. It doesn't... It's, there's no rhyme nor reason. So, speaking of rhymes and reasons, <laughs> here's a scene that doesn't have a rhyme or reason. They're in a, in a monastery. Grugach, that pig man monster, he's, he breaks in and he kills a bunch of monks. They have one of the casks that Nimue's uh, part is in. Uh, and... There's a, there's a whole dumb thing. They put a, Merlin put a spell on it so only a man of God could say the words that could open up the casket. It raises a lot of questions about the relationship between Merlin's kind of, you know, Celtic paganism, how that relates to Christianity. At a time when Christianity was, if you've read Mists of Avalon, very much at odds with that type of native religion. Yeah. 
It's a great book. You should read it. As my wife says many times, it is the book that introduced her as an adolescent to very detailed descriptions of sex in books. So, Tell me more. Okay. And so I don't want to ruin this. I don't want to spoil it for you, but there is a medieval threesome, so you'll enjoy that, I think. The anyway, best kind. Yeah. But, do, uh, but, but do they talk about the food in the book? <laughs> Are there lemon cakes and capons and No, I don't trenchers. think they talk about capons or trenchers of gravy. Not interested. Every, every George R. R. Martin book. Let me tell you what they're eating. Is it the same thing they were eating in the last three books, George? Uh, you'll find out, yes. Aren't I a scamp? It was the same food. Yeah, why is he a bad little boy? I don't know. He's a bad little boy. I'm not going to finish those books. You want me to write them, but I'm too busy spending my new money. <laughs> I'll write a prequel about things you don't really care about unless you're Stuart Wellington. That's just me, George R.R. Martin. I'm just, I'm just a bad little boy enjoying my wife instead of doing these things you want me to do. Anyway, that's my George R.R. Martin impression. Anyway, so Grogoth kind of finds a loophole where he rips the last monk's tongue out and sticks it in his mouth and says the words, and it's like, mm, I don't know. I think God is yeah. somewhere going, I'll allow it. Like, you know, <laughs> Like, oh, that's the same thing, I guess. And, and, uh, the and tongue if, moved, I mean. And if it sounds gross, don't worry, it looks super fake. Th- yeah, I mean, this movie is super gory, but it's all CGI gore. And that the worst of that is later on when a character, it's Nimue, gets shot in the face and her eyeball is dangling out by a thread. And it, it, like, is, pops out at the camera. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, oh It's not just, it's not dangling out, it's not dangling down, it's, like, dangling, like, out, as if, like, the well, optic like nerve is, ball. like... Like a wire, kind of like, <laughs> like boing, boing, boing. Well, it's like the scene in it's like the scene in House of Wax where the guy's advertising that the House of Wax is open. He's just hitting paddle balls at the camera. And if you don't see the movie in 3D, as I did the first time I saw it on WPIX New York's movie station, I was like, "Why are we watching this paddle ball guy?" <laughs> okay, so Grugak has Nimue's head now. Bum bum bum. The Brits, they arm up with electric, electric taser pikes to go on the giant hunt, but while they're out on that hunt, uh-oh, it's an ambush. They're attacking Hellboy because, again, for reasons no one thought to tell Hellboy about, they want him to die before he can cause the end of the world. It's zap, stab, zap is literally what I wrote here. Um, <laughs> is this curtains for Hellboy? I don't know, because we're going to go see Nimue, half reconstructed, just sitting around watching TV while Grugrach collects her parts. That part was kind of funny. I don't know. Um, Hellboy wakes up to find that their giants, they were real, have eaten the British guys. He fights and kills them all in a, okay. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Super special I like the design thing. of the giants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, but Hellboy passes out. He wakes up in a house. Save this, now, this is twice in a row Hellboy has passed out and woken up to find something. So, did Raymond Chandler write this story? <laughs> <laughs> Because Raymond Chandler's big rule, what he used to say, if you don't know how to end a scene, send in a guy with a gun. Yeah. But his other thing was like, if you don't know how to end a scene, hit the detective over the head, and he can wake up in the next scene. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and basically every, and that means that like every scene, Hellboy's waking up and then stumbling places. Yeah, Hellboy is... He's kind of clumsy. I don't know if it's a symptom of the prosthetics or it the It makes giant. him seem he's more like, attainable. He's, <laughs> that's true, yeah. Yeah, he's so you'd hot. See a, you'd see a guy a with a giant stone right hand and you're like, there's no way I can get him. Yeah. <laughs> also, it probably throws off his balance that he has a giant stone right hand. Now, oh, would he have science. years to get used to it? Presumably, but I don't know. You know, he's taking OT. He's, he's getting better. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, so uh, he wakes up. He's been saved by Alice Monaghan. Monaghan? Monahan. She's a woman, young woman who can talk to spirits, and she knew Hellboy when she was a baby. How? <laughs> That's for a flashback for later in the movie. 
why would we learn it right now? Uh, Professor Broom shows up, and, and she says, these ghosts are telling me to kill you with this, with this gun full of angel bones. And it's like, come on, movie. <laughs> now, come okay, on. now where do you get angel bones? That's... I don't, like, I, you used to go to your mom and pop occult botanica, but, <laughs> but now I guess you gotta go to the big, big box botanica that opened up, you know? Yeah, and, like, you look at the recipe, and the recipe says just get some angel bones, and you're like, I guess I'll go to my butcher and, like, ask him for them? Yeah. I mean, I guess Amazon these days? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to support Amazon, though. I mean, it's not good for the local economy. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it needs to be a real heaven-to-table restaurant, if you're really going to support it, yeah. So Broom shows up, Professor Broom, and he's like, Hellboy, I need your help. And Hellboy's- I'm surprised that you could come up with that joke so quickly, since uh, you've been spending most of the evening trying to come up with porn parody raps based on the musical Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I didn't. I would say most of the evening, yeah, but most, a good, a good part of, of the training. Mo- that was a runner started by Stuart. He and he said he said a Hamilton porn rap, and I couldn't let that gauntlet go unthrown down. <laughs> most of them. I mean, they're mostly the same thing. I don't know. We, we won't go into them. Maybe after the show, I'll tell you some. But I feel yeah. like we will get sued like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't want to culturally appropriate porn, <laughs> so. Well-timed, well-timed on that punchline. Okay, Professor Hellboy's like, Professor Broom, why didn't you ever tell me about where I came from? Why did you, what, you, so you didn't kill me when I was a baby. Why, when I have to kill all these other monsters? Wah, wah, wah. Broom's like, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. We're introducing a new character, Major Ben Daimyo. Oh, uh-oh. People from the, from, who read the comics know this guy's got some monster issues. And for the movie, he's English for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, and they tell Hellboy, hey, the Osiris Club, you remember those guys who tried to kill you? At their other hideout, they have one of the Nimue casks. So we're going to go with there. And Alice is like, that's the psychic girl. It's like, I'm coming along. And everyone's like, all right, I guess so. And Professor Broom gives Hellboy a big pistol that's in like a special box. Does he, I guess he uses his pistol once, the time he shoots Probably, yeah. uh, Nimue in the face. They make a big to-do, like, this is the origin of his special pistol, and then nothing much comes of it. Uh, similar to the fact that he has a giant stone right hand, and that doesn't matter at all. Ever, yeah. He barely even uses it to hit things with. Yeah. Okay, they go to the Osiris Club mansion, everyone's been murdered, and Alice is like, ah, I'm having a psychic migraine, and ectoplasm comes out of her mouth and forms that the dead psychic who told Hellboy all about you know, where demons now, come Stuart, from. Now, Stuart, I think you have a few words words about this special effect. I mean, if you're going to do like just make it look like a ghost. It looks so bad. It looks like it looks like in the movie Funny People when uh, when Adam Sandler is a merman. <laughs> but the, well, I mean, it looks like a like a snake made out of gak kind yeah. of. <laughs> it's yeah, like a snake with, with and then the actor's head kind of glued on top. The same like when Mike Myers is playing a kid in The Love Guru in the beginning and you're like, "Oh, oh no, this this doesn't look right at all." Like yeah. and then later on, the I mean the special effect isn't the worst special effect in the movie. That's when Ian McShane does the same thing at the end of the movie. <laughs> and it looks like they shot it in his house and just pasted his head onto this thing. But okay. Uh, and the dead psychic queen is she going to explain what's going on in the movie? No, uh It's time for an ominous prophecy. The queen must never find her king. Ah! Turns out Gruach is there. He's looking for Nimue's arm. I don't know. They just stumble on him, basically. And Nimue comes out of a portal and is like, Hellboy, we should be working together. It's the old how to do. We're not so different, you and I. Two sides of the same coin. Join me together. We'll yeah. rule the whatever. Uh, but Damio, he just starts shooting and she disappears. And also, Damio's got a little thing. When he gets upset, he starts freaking out a little bit, and he has to stab himself with some kind of special medicine. We'll find it's out. It's probably nothing. Probably nothing. Yeah, it's probably just insulin, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's an EpiPen. He had some peanuts. It's hey, fine. guys. 
Sounds like they need to get back on the hunt for Nimue. No, flashing back time. The year is 1992, and Hellboy saves Alice as a baby from being taken by a changeling. That changeling? Little baby Gruagach. That's why he hates Hellboy so much and waited 20 years for his revenge. As Stuart said while we were watching it, that should have been the first scene in the movie. <laughs> but no. Anyway, some hags sew Nimue back together, and I'm not saying it pejoratively. The closed captions identify them as Hag 1 and Hag 2. No. I just like that this is the sort of movie where you can just, summing it up, you can say dismissively, I don't know, some hags sew Nimue back together. Uh, yeah, but she's still not... They keep saying she can't get to her full power until she's back together. And I was like, oh, she's back together now, right? No, there's one more part she needs. Uh, a very special part that we'll get to. Uh, well, Hellboy is like... <laughs> let your mind wander on that one. Let's just say it's a part of the body you can't see when someone has their clothes on. Oh, All shit! Right. Oh, It turns gross. out it's, it's her blood. Anyway, so... <laughs> the, <laughs> anyway, uh, meanwhile, uh, Hellboy's learning about Nimue from old books and Daimyo goes out and gets a special bullet that can kill Hellboy when Hellboy inevitably goes bad. Hellboy's got all this tension with Broom. It's real daddy issue stuff. And Hellboy's like, well, maybe if humans weren't always trying to kill monsters, monsters and humans could live together. And it's like, dude, have you seen the monsters are always biting people's heads off? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Hellboy... He storms out and gets trapped in a magic elevator that takes him to a magic forest where Baba Yaga's chicken leg house is. And Baba Yaga is all ringing it up, contorting around and crawling around on all yeah. fours with her head upside down. Yeah, she's and doing she's, a real exorcist spider walk around. And she's like, Hellboy, I was doing this thing and you stopped me and shot my eye out and now I hate you. And it's like, how much backstory? Is this movie going to lay on us? And it's like they had the entirety of the Hellboy comic series, and they're like, this is our one shot, guys. we got to stick it all in there. We are not throwing away our shot, yep. which is not the... Which, yeah, there was no. a porn version of that that I was yeah, saying yeah. earlier. I mean, it works. It still works. Yeah, but. it still works. Anyway. So, that I mean, this is kind of a fun scene because Bobby Yaga is flipping all the, over the place, and like Hellboy the, seems kind of unsure of himself. Yeah, this is definitely like, my favorite. And he's like, I don't want to eat this soup that's made out of children bodies. And like, I get it, man. I wouldn't want to. There's, yeah, but no, you got it. I mean, like, just be, yeah, be polite. Yeah, you got to be nice. You got to be polite. You got to like pull the soup up to your mouth and, and then like, mmm, and put it back down again. Yeah, yeah or you like flip it over your shoulder. When yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like dumping in a plant and the plant dies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there's this the one creepy moment in the movie is where he picks up the spoon and there's children's fingers in the soup and it kind of the camera kind of turns and he looks behind him and you see her like meat locker of yeah, children's like bodies hanging and I'm like yeah. and it, you just see it for a short amount of time and I'm like oh yeah this is what the movie needs to be creepy yeah not to have so many radio hits playing all the time during fight scenes anyway she's like I want my eye to replace. Uh, the eye you shot out. I'll tell you where Nimue is if you give it to me. And then for some reason she gives him a big gross sloppy kiss where her tongue is literally wiping all over his face. <laughs> and I he, did enjoy him saying like, ooh, how's your tongue, Harry? Yeah. Like, that's, uh, and uh, he's always got a quip. Hellboy's always got a quip for every occasion even if there's no one around to hear it. And many of the quips sound a little like they were ADR'd in later, but... <laughs> <laughs> Seems unlikely. I mean, you, you wouldn't need to punch up this movie. It snaps. <laughs> I mean, you can't always think of the right thing to say in the moment. I, I would love it if, like, during the filming, they're, they're like, telling David, David Harbour? Is that his David Harbour. David yeah. Harbour. They're like, could you deliver... Could you just act more, like, with your back turned to the camera? <laughs> so we can just, like, whatever we want later on, we can just stick it in. 
Should we talk about, we take a moment to talk about the design of Hellboy in this one? Because it's sure, not David sure. Harbour's fault that the design of yeah, the character I mean, the, is a little The prosthetic rough. doesn't allow for a lot of motion from his face. And he's also, like, he's going up against the last Hellboy, which is Ron Perlman, who is the best actor in prosthetics. Yeah, he's amazing. And he's like had him and, a ton between of Between him and Doug Jones, they're like, you're not going to top those guys. Yeah, and for some reason they made a decision. I mean, Hellboy's always had, like, Sometimes he's got a little bit of a ponytail. Sometimes he's got kind of a top knot. One of my less favorite men's hairdos, but that's just sure, me. Sure, yeah. You're not a fan of the Witcher series. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's mainly just because I'll never have enough hair again to do it. But, he, but for this, they decided that his hair should always be out and down in this kind of like long, stringy, like... What does it look like? Like, I don't know. He looks kind of like a wrestler. Yeah, he looks like the wrestler. He looks like Mickey Rourke the wrestler. Yeah, they're, and they're really like... Oh, oh, <laughs> who's making comparisons to Mickey Rourke now, uh, Elliot? I compared his hair... I didn't, I didn't imply that Mickey Rourke's face looked like a demon from hell. Uh, I would like to and you, and you uh, bring in Exhibit A, which is Flophouse episode... When you said that Mickey Rourke was like a bag of mashed potatoes. I was younger then, Dan. Right. I was younger and I didn't live in Los Angeles yet, so it was very unlikely he could find me. <laughs> Yeah, you probably don't go to the same, like, Chihuahua groomer. Yeah, he he's, got, he's got a great Instagram with a bunch of Chihuahuas. Check yeah, he is, I remember when his, one of his Chihuahuas died, and he was really sad about it. Maybe yeah. twice. Super I was sad, like, oh, he yeah. does have feelings. He's a human being. He's a human, yeah. I should have gotten that from his performance in The Wrestler, which is ha- hauntingly vulnerable. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so he's like, I'll give you my eye. When I'm done with it, see ya! And they have a big fight, and anyway. But he knows where Nimue is now. So he, just, he and Alice and Damio and nobody else decide to go confront Nimue. And meanwhile, Alice is like, Damio, why do you hate monsters so much? And he's like, uh, once I was with a special ops group, and we were in a, fighting a jaguar demon in Belize, and I was the only survivor. And you just catch a glimpse of this jaguar demon, and he looks so much like a gritty reboot of Chester Cheetah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all he's missing is the shades, but it's like, you imagine that some Hollywood producer is like, what IP is still available to make a horror movie out of? The Frito Bandito? They did it. Uh, what about the Hawaiian Punch guy? They did it. What's left? And he sees a bag of Cheetos across the room and he goes, get me that cheetah. I also like that because like, that seems like almost a parody of like backstory. Like, why do you hate monsters so much? Like, flashback, like, special ops, a, like, a monster, like, monsterifies him. It's just like, you know what? I don't think we need motivation for not liking monsters in this this world. That's a good point, yeah. Monsters are pretty mean, normally. Yeah. I mean, except the ones in Air, real monsters who are kind of hapless. Or Monsters, Inc. Dan, I found a lot of evidence against you. Like a mad monster party, maybe. Yeah, I mean, what was so mad about that monster party? They seem like they're having a great time. (laughs) I mean, I think it was everything was like Mad, like Mad Magazine, like. like but Mad, that was not a Mad endorsed. No, Although no, no, the, no. the name is up for grabs now. I'm just, just saying. It. I'm just saying it has the same spirit of a Mad. But you can't just say like, oh, this is. <laughs> you can't just say this is like Mad Magazine. I'll just call it Mad. If I opened up the Mad Cafe and oh, we have the spirit of Mad Magazine in our cafe. <laughs> you can't do that. We can do it now. Mad went under. We can do whatever we want. All right, let's do it, guys. Let's move to <laughs> Minneapolis and open up the Mattyapolis Mad Magazine Cafe. <laughs> What are Maybe we, we can get a, what well, are, for the grand opening. We can get a big celebrity like Mads Mikkelsen. I love it. Let's do this. I, I and did. then I just—it's like Apocalypse Now. I just send back a letter that says, "Sell the house, sell the kids. I'm done." <laughs> like, okay. So uh, 
they go, they're, they're in the forest, they're in a helicopter, but they can't land too close to Nimue yet. When she's at a magic tree that's full of her blood and she needs to get it back. Zombies attack them and Hellboy just runs off. And Damio, he has to keep injecting himself with this madman medicine that makes that to stop being a monster, I guess. And Nimue at the gets same her... time, this is when Alice is punching zombies and knocking their ghosts out of their bodies. Yeah, because she can just do that now. It's pretty cool. And he's like, you can do that? And he's like, I, she's like, I do lots of weird stuff. All right. Yep. Uh, Nimue's back to normal and her army of kind of like CGI gremlins shows up and they are not the most intimidating characters. Like they look like if it was a kid's movie and there's like a portal to a gremlin world and a real estate developer wants to steal the land or like <laughs> kidnap the gremlins to sell them as the hot toy of the season and two kids have to save them. Like that's what they look like a little bit. Uh, and Hellboy shows up and shoots Nimue in the face, her eyes dangling. Her army of gremlins runs away instantly. Uh, and is like, Hellboy, you should be my king. Let's rule together. We'll start a new Eden from the ashes of the human world. And he's like, no way, dude. So from her crown of, so from her crown of twigs, she snaps a little twig and throws it like Bullseye would throw a toothpick right into Alice's neck. Ah, it's got magic poison in it. And, uh, she, and she runs off and another witch comes out and I was like, Hellboy, you got to go down this tunnel across this beach over to this place, to that place, to the cave where Merlin is buried. And... Over, we see her voiceovering this as they do it, and I'm like, why did you show us them doing this? You know, just usually, say go to Merlin's cave. I mean, the you thing know, is, like, do they trust? The, they don't. They assume the audience is like, well, if they don't explain exactly where they're going, it won't make sense. There's a thing. There's an essay Umberto Eco wrote called "How to Tell if You're in a Porn Movie" or something like that, and he was saying. In movies, there are scenes of things happening. But in porn, it's just sex scenes. But you can't do just sex scene, sex scene, sex scene. It would deaden you. They've got to fill it with something. So they fill it with a lot of people getting from one place to another. So he's saying, if you are going from one place to another and you experience the entire journey from point A to point B, you're in a porn movie. And I feel like that's what's going on here, kind of. I mean, I experience the entire journey from point A to point B when I, whenever I'm you know, going somewhere, Elliot. So... Am I in a porn movie? You tell me you know a lot more about your private life than I do. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you can't, you're not probably not in a great porn movie, but you know. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. That's true. I don't know. Okay. So maybe you're in a fantastic one. I'll, I'll just go with you and we'll find out, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a real Schrodinger's sex cat scenario <laughs> until it's observed. We won't know. <laughs> Okay, uh, so they go find Merlin, and Merlin's like, hey, let me lay some backstory on you, because <laughs> we're like, great, we needed more. And this, and this is one of those moments where they go to somebody that they need to like, cast a spell, and Merlin's like, I'll only do it if you kill Nimue for me. And they're like, we're going to do that anyway, okay? <laughs> like, there's first, no cost. First, you must do a quest for me. You must destroy Nimue, the Blood Queen. That's what we're doing. Oh, oh okay, well... Uh, oh, should you I give you a, a different... Fanta from the corner store? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe like a different quest. Uh, I feel like there should be a quest in here. Uh, pick up that rock, hand it to me. You did it! Oh, champion! Now I'll do what you're bidding. All right, but do the other thing, too, the Nimue thing. And he saves Alice, and he explains, Hellboy, your mom was a descendant of King Arthur, and she was a witch and had sex with a demon, and you were born, and so since you're, you're half-human, a descendant of King Arthur, you can wield Excalibur to destroy Nimue. And I'll have to admit, in the comics, this is one of, not one of my favorite parts of the comics, is the Arthur stuff. I love almost all the rest of it. But uh -huh. they got to be faithful, and they got to do it by cramming all that exposition into one semi-flashback. You know, Elliot, I, I, often when you're giving one of these uh, recaps, particularly the live shows, I think, like, okay, this sounds like the craziest bullshit in the world. Like, 
the audience must be like, what? This is the zaniest movie? Yeah, like, like, what the audience the is like, is... wait, his name's Venom? That doesn't make sense at all. He's a symbiote. But in this case, like... But Stuart, it gives rise to, again, as we said earlier in the day, my favorite line, I think, in any Flophouse movie, when Michelle Williams sits next to Tom Hardy and she goes, I'm sorry about Venom. <laughs> like his dog died and his dog was named Venom. I mean, they were very close, literally. Literally. Venom lived in his skin. No, I'm just saying that, like, for once, like, the movie is exactly as disjointed and weird as you're describing. Yeah. It does feel like they, they had a movie and they put it in a blender and like spun it around and they're like... Like my tender heart. Anyway. Yeah. So Merlin conjures up Excalibur, which is sitting there vibrating in reality, uh, kind of like half in, half out, and Hellboy grabs it and he sees this magical uh, vision of himself riding a dragon through hell With and chopping crown. dudes up, kind of like running down a dragon tail. And it sounds awesome, but it kind of isn't. Yeah, it's real heavy metal stuff. Not, I mean, like heavy metal, the movie or the magazine. Yeah, uh, and the music, too, I guess. But it's just like, it's not as cool as it sounds. But he's like, oh, he hesitates, and the sword disappears. And Merlin is like, nice work, hot shot, and crumbles to dust. <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like yeah fucked it up Hellboy and then just smooth move X-Lex <laughs> yeah. so Nimue at this point she throws caution to the wind she's walking around the streets of London throwing plague bugs at people and attacks the BPRD hideout there they're in the London auxiliary annex I guess and, uh, Nim- <laughs> and then Hellboy and Daimyo and Alice show up in a church for some reason I don't remember and Nimue is there and she's made Grachauch enormous and Hellboy fights him and it's really got Hellboy on the ropes. So Daimyo, he's like, time for me to let out the beast, if you know what I mean. Hell yeah, he chugs a monster energy drink. <laughs> and he turns into his jaguar monster. And this is hilarious because he's like, ah, turning into a jaguar. And it looks just like the scene in An American Werewolf in London, except not as good. <laughs> like, because it's yeah. all computers. And, and I should say, there's a lot of practical not, makeup effects in this. It's not just but... it's because it's computers. It's done, like, it's very quick and cheap, and yeah. this movie didn't have as much money. And Grugrak is like, I'm going to finish you off, Hellboy. He's but, about to stab him. Elliot... And, you, and wait, Jaguar Man roars, and Grugrak's like, huh, what's that? And he can't see what, where it came from. And then Jaguar Man jumps out at him, and it was like, why the roar? You already had the element of surprise. <laughs> Elliot, I think you're overlooking an important part of Grugrak, the pig demon, because... <laughs> The, and, and we should also mention he, is, he has a kind of some kind of Irish-Scottish accent and he is constantly swearing. He's constantly I would like, swearing. He I would like, like a version of Meet the Press where someone turns to someone like, I think you're overlooking an important aspect of Grugrock the pig demon. <laughs> but it, is, it certainly feels like this character's like, well, we got an R rating. We should just fucking go with it, right? Yeah, no, he's, he's swearing up a storm. Every time he's like, Hellboy fucking shit, butt, butt, fuck. Like, <laughs> That's okay, kind of what I it's guess. like. Yeah. <laughs> Poop, dong, etc. That's like him. <laughs> yeah, that's R rated. R rated, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they fight. Jaguar monster stops him, and Nimue shows up again, and she's like. But they don't even stop Grugrak. I guess Grugrak's like gonna win, and then Nimue shows up. She's like, "Don't kill Hellboy anymore. Now I'm gonna kill you." And she takes all his power, and he turns into a little baby. And he's like, "Fuck you, Hellboy!" And it's like Nimue, really the one who screwed you over on this one. I don't. And he just explodes in blood, right? Yeah. When he gets small enough, and it's like, uh, <laughs> why did? That's what she, happens to all of us, you know. And I when guess when you get small enough, you explode in blood. <laughs> That sounds like an album you would listen to. Explode yeah, totally. Blood. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, so she was like, I needed him to get you as mad as possible so I can convince you to join me. And, and it's like, mm, psychology, I guess. I don't know. And she takes Professor Broom out and she's like, 
join me or I'll kill him. Hey, I'll do it anyway. And she, with one of her long fingernails, just flicks his throat and kills him. Mm-hmm. And Hellboy is so mad that he pulls Excalibur out of the stone because it's there also. Yeah, and she probably she probably grew that fingernail for cocaine, but I guess <laughs> I gotta assume. murdering people is a good secondary use. Yeah, back in yes. the 570s, <laughs> yeah, well, she was really doing a lot of no, cocaine. She's like, oh, I was, uh, I was chopped up, so I missed the 80s, <laughs> so I gotta... <laughs> So I've been doing it all. That's why she's wearing, yeah. like, a suit jacket with rolled-up sleeves and, like, yeah. a super skinny tie. <laughs> it's very Have you guys hip. heard this uh, safety dance song? Yeah. It's, uh... I'm going to spin you right round, Hellboy, like a record player. And Hellboy's like, what's that? I'm a cool young person. Oh, did I forget to mention earlier that in this world, Hellboy is famous also? And people are always tweeting about him. But anyway... Uh, so Hellboy goes so mad he pulls out Excalibur and his horns grow out and his sword goes on fire and his flaming crown appears hovering above his head and that's the key cue for a bunch of giant monsters to just walk around London murdering people in the most gruesome ways possible and it's like a different movie suddenly intruded on this movie and yeah. you know what I kind of loved it and, yeah. also, this is, and this is stuff that's happening Hellboy I don't think ever knows that this happens like it's all outside of where they are yeah, it's like a monster jumps out and like rips a guy's face off, or like a monster that has a hand where its crotch is ripping a guy in half. Like it's crazy. A like guy at this li- point, I'm like, wow, movie, you really turned around. Yeah. yeah. It's like never has a movie switched so quickly as yeah. like audition or something. <laughs> it's super gory, uh, and uh, Hellboy is about to join. Nimue, and Damio is about to shoot him with the magic Hellboy killing bullet, which has made us some magic stuff, when Alice raises Broom's spirit with a bunch of ectoplasm out of her mouth, and this is when we see, again, the worst effect in the movie. And <laughs> Professor Broom tough loves Hellboy into doing the right thing. Hey, man up, you're a human being, so grow some balls and fight this lady. And Hellboy's like, okay, and chops up Nimue with Excalibur, that's the cue for all the demons to get sucked up into hell. I guess the demons were on, like, had they, they had a recreational well, think, leave think, from hell jail? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he, at this point, he, like, gives up his... Does uh, he break his horns? Yeah, he breaks no? his okay, horns. Okay, breaks again, his yeah. horns. He decides not to be the prince of hell or whatever. Anungunrama, the yeah. right-handed yeah, destruction so or something. Beast back. of making blow And then ups. he chucks Nimue's head down into hell. Yeah, right? he chucks Nimue's head into hell, and uh, Broom's ghost is like, I'm sorry I wasn't a better dad. I love you, Hellboy. And... <laughs> It's genuinely moving. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not, it's not like the scene in, spoiler alert, Anne of Green Gables when Richard Farnsworth dies in front of Anne and he says, I never wanted an, a boy, Anne. I wanted you. I'm so proud of you. And I was crying so and hard he, when I he, watched he, it. And he, he gives that well, speech as he's been conjured uh, through somebody's mouth of ectoplasm. Elliot Kalen's controversial position that Anne of Green Gables is more moving than Ian McShane as a glob ghost <laughs> saying, I love you, Hellboy. To a demon man. <laughs> yeah. The thing is... I'll, stand, I'll, I'll take that hot take. Hashtag it, yeah. Elliot, I'm sorry about Venom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Uh, Daimyo shatters his Hellboy killing bullet because he's seen the light. Six months later, the title... Oh, and then the camera pans up and we see that London is in ruins. Yeah. London has been fucking raised. <laughs> yeah. And so, six months later, which would have been a funny way to end the movie, six months later, Siberia. Now, Daimyo, Alice, and Hellboy, they're the new BPRD team, and they're just kicking ass, taking names. They're not taking names. They're beating up faceless bad guys in hazmat suits who look, if anything, like scientists who are trying to get out of the way while these guys are just killing them. (laughs) They're like running away with clipboards, (laughs) getting their ghosts punched out of their bodies. (laughs) We didn't know what the job was. (laughs) I wanted to put it in a museum. (laughs) 
That was Dracula, the, the archaeologist. Okay. Bleh, it deserves to be in a museum. Do you know how hard it is to dig in the desert only at night? <laughs> anyway, I guess there's a reason Indiana Dracula and the Raiders I, of the Lost Ark didn't I work never out. Eat, I never eat bad dates. <laughs> Nice, very nice, very nice. Children of the night, they belong in a museum. So I hate snakes and steaks. <laughs> I guess this is our SNL character now. <laughs> You'll see, Dracula, we're not so different, you and I, because we're both vampires. <laughs> Belloc is a vampire Belloc, in this one, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Belloc's also a vampire. Yeah. And, and, and Sean Connery is not a vampire, but he's still like, I guess he is, but he still sounds like Sean Connery, yeah. you know? Okay. Indy was my favorite. We called the vampire dog Indy. <laughs> anyway, uh, what, how great would that be though? Okay, it's the beginning of oh, Last God. Crusade. We're so close Wait, to no, the end. And River Phoenix is on that train, ah, ah, and instead of falling in a, in a cattle car with snakes in it, he falls in a cattle car that's transporting Dracula's skeleton. Is it John Carradine from the later Universal Pictures? You bet it is. The stake gets knocked out of the skeleton. He bites him. Ah, I'm a Dracula now. Yep. Ba -da -ba -da. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> okay. Six months later, they're in Siberia. They kill all these scientists. They find some kind of a big tube, and they, oh, and they wipe away the dust on the nameplate. Ichthyosapien, a hand slaps the glass. Cut to black. That's right. Abe Sapien will be in the sequel that was never made. End of credit scenes, right? Incorrecto. Skip ahead. Mid-credit scene. Hellboy's real sad at Broom's grave. It's a real, um, a last poor Yorick type scene. Uh, and then Lobster Johnson shows up to give him a comedy pep talk. And Hellboy's like, Lobster Johnson's ghost. I love you. You're amazing. Oh, my God. I'm so starstruck. End of scene. And oh, he ends it with makes no sense why that's in there other than, like, maybe Thomas Hayden Church is like, I'm only doing this movie if I get two scenes. <laughs> two scenes, please. And, 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 and it ends with Hellboy going, well, that just happened. And you're like, that describes the movie. Yes. <laughs> End of movie, right? No. Wrong again. Stop. Gumping. Two. Conclusions. End of credits scene for the true hellheads who stayed till the end. Or hellboys, B-O-I-Z. Uh -huh. Okay. The Baba Yaga is promising some off-screen monster. I want revenge on Hellboy. If you kill Hellboy, I'll give you what you want most. I'll let you die. Cut to black. Will we ever find out who that monster was? No, we won't. The movie was not a success. <laughs> there will be no sequel. Much like the end of the Mario Brothers movie when Princess Peach shows back up with a big gun and says, I need your help. We don't know why she needs their help. And I'm going to guess it was Rasputin. That's my guess. But I guess we'll have to talk Wait, to Neil Marshall Princess or... Princess Peach Michael. needed their help to kill Rasputin? <laughs> no! No, Stuart! I mean, like... Maybe! If there's anyone you need help to kill, it's Rasputin. Yeah, I guess. You can't just, like, jump up and down on his head. You need, like, no. fireballs or something. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta jump on a turtle shell that knocks him over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you or jump you on his head three different times. You gotta time his fireballs so you can get over them. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then, and then his big hovering clown helicopter thing crashes down. <sighs> but unfortunately, your sequel is in a different castle. <laughs> yeah. And that's the famous bit where we ram a couple of different things together. Anyway. Also known as the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's do our final judgments about this movie. Sure. It's called Hellboy. <laughs> if you say so <laughs> is it a good bad movie a bad bad movie or a movie you kind of like Stuart what do you have to say uh, yeah this was a bad bad movie I, I mean 
Yeah, I was just, it was a bummer. Not a fan. Yeah, I had hopes for this movie. I don't, um, I don't have the same connection to the character that you guys do. I basically knew him from the Del Toro movies, but Neil Marshall, the director, made The mm-hmm. Descent, which I think is probably the best horror movie of that decade. That, yeah. And he made Doomsday, which is a lot of fun. Very mm-hmm. silly, but fun. And Dog Soldiers is also fun. Mm-hmm. And, and this movie is not good at all. Well, this is also the first movie he didn't write. Well, and also, uh, as Elliot said, I made fun of him for bringing it up, but it was a tortured production. Well, well, well. <laughs> what a tangled web we weave. What goes around comes lying. around. No. It, soon, it seems the backstage story is on the other foot now, my friend. None of these apply, but <laughs> what do you have to say, Elliot? If wishes were fishes... <laughs> Uh, I, if it's and butts were candy and nuts. <laughs> that would be a weird world. <laughs> Very weird world. Uh, I, it's like, I don't know, maybe for, I, I feel like I'm seeing it through the, through the lens of someone who has so much affection for the original source material. I don't know if I can fully judge it fairly. But again, taking my cue from the people we watched it with who could not follow the film because it was so crazy and disjointed, I'm going to say... Maybe there's some fun to be had in it if you just want to watch, like, goofy CGI gore, but I thought it was a bad, bad movie. Yeah. All it right. pains me to say, mm-hmm. in a way. Does it? I mean... You seem to take pleasure out of it, but let's move I mean, on. I, it's, it's, I took pleasure, and then I regretted that pleasure because everyone who worked on it was trying their best, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're hell-best. You're all of their grandmas right now. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot suddenly quits the podcast. <laughs> you know what? This whole premise is kind of mean. I'm gonna go. Hello there, ghouls and gals. It is I, April Wolf. I'm here to take you through the twisty, scary, heart-pounding world of genre cinema on the exhilarating program known as Switchblade Sisters. The concept is simple. I invite a female filmmaker on each week and we discuss their favorite genre film. Listen in closely to hear past guests like The Babadook Director, Jennifer Kent, Winter's Bone Director, Deborah Granick, and so many others every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Tune in if you dare. It's actually a very thought-provoking show that deeply explores the craft and philosophy behind the filmmaking process while also examining film through the lens of the female gaze. So, like, you should listen. Switchblade Sisters. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases, I ask them questions, they're good ones, and then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flowbie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. All right. Uh, yeah, this is the part where we answer some questions. And uh, like I said, there are a couple of microphones. I know I'm going to stand up for this one because I'm an old man. I can't sit that long anymore. Ow, 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 ow. You guys, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I know you got cues. Let us a 
That what? is so There's gross. a Q&A. That There's is, nothing gross about that. It sounded gross. I saved time by not saying the extra syllables. No. Dan, which side should we start from? Should we start from that side or that side? That side or that side? Start on the left and then back and forth. Okay, stage left, house right. Correct. Some theater terms for you. Wait, Dan. Someone was in a play once. You know, before we get to questions. Oh, God. The theater's a magical place, you know. And sometimes... Oh, it's time to check in for my flight home. Huh? You, just, you just can't express that magic in prose. You gotta do it. Jumps up. In song. Well, Dan. Well, Stuart, we've gone a lot of places on this big blue marble, but I don't think any place can compare to Minneapolis. I just want to give the city a kiss, Minneapolis. If I had a snake, it would probably hiss, Minneapolis. Hey, you know, like I said, there's a lot of cities around, but hey, you know, when I realized my plane would be touching down in Minneapolis, well, I jumped for joy in my seat. I had to stay buckled while the plane was landing because the FAA is very careful about that. They're very strict with their rules. And you know what else I'd say? Rules. Minneapolis. Thank you. You know, you know Thank you. Usually, Thank you. usually that's the point where either I or Stuart or sometimes both would leave the stage to go pee, but there's no green room bathroom, so we had no way to escape that. Mm-hmm. So we just peed in our pants. <laughs> we did. <laughs> All right, let's answer some questions. Hello, my name is Salem, last name withheld. Um, I started listening to your podcast when I was 13. No joke, I went through your backlog playing Minecraft on the family computer. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. like, it's like you had the your generation version of my life. <laughs> um, so now I'm 20 and in college, um, and I was thinking that's like a crazy long time to be doing anything, this podcast, not playing Minecraft. Um, so when you're working on a project for so long that is a very consistent project, but you're still going through many different periods in your life and having a lot of changes, what makes you stay motivated and interested in your work even when it's not necessarily changing or doing anything interesting? And also... Whoa, 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 kidding, whoa, whoa, just kidding. Perfectly fine process Critique. question. Yeah, turned, suddenly, it's the roast of the fluff. <laughs> no, no, are we in hell right now? Because that was so flame. Yeah, come on. I'm just I kidding. I sang a I'm song so about sorry. your city. No, we didn't. We didn't change or grow, so it's fine. The what? No, we've never changed, so it's fine. It's no, okay, that's true. We're doing the same thing. I think. I mean, we're less gross in some of the things we say but yeah. sorry so yeah. your question how do you how do you no. keep it challenging kind of yeah sorry i, I got me and i was nervous no no it's all right <laughs> no and it also, happens it happens I, I blame the internet culture uh, um, also a very important question if each of you were an animal what animal would you be <laughs> i mean Stuart, we know would be a party animal <laughs> Stuart did a half-hearted floss <laughs> And uh, I, I think know, it's been established well, that I'm a sloth. I think that that's already yeah. canon. And I think I'd probably be a pangolin, an elegant armadillo, if you will. 
I would say, I mean, it's, I feel like we've been doing this podcast for different reasons for each of those years. Started out just as a lark. I mean, you guys started it without me. But, like, when I joined, it was, for, it was to have fun and, you know, the babes, obviously. But, the, I think, but at this point, it's like, I really enjoy doing it. Plus, we get paid to do it. But also, I don't live in the same part of the country that these guys do anymore. So it's like, it's very exciting to me to know that I'm going to talk to them at least once every two weeks because we're going to have to record this show. And so, like, it's really nice that this helps us keep that friendship close together. You know? Yeah. You know, there's been, chunk, there's been times in my life where I've been really busy and it's a good release. It also, like, is a good way to force me to watch movies because in addition to the movie we have to watch for the episode, I try to watch other movies so I can have something to recommend because I, I get kind of stressed out if I, don't, if I hadn't seen anything recently and I don't just want to be like, oh, stop making sense or something. <laughs> I saw this on well, a plane. <laughs> I guess it's okay. I have a very bad memory. I just forgot that I recommended it before, Stuart, but thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I started it out for fun because it was a good thing, fun thing to do with friends. And then we had an audience, which both gave me a feeling of obligation to an audience and also made me want to do it because I thought that maybe the love of strangers could fill the hole in my heart. <laughs> Which and how's that going? It was a mistake. Is it, it working? It was, no, it doesn't oh. work at all. But um, thank you for your question. Thanks for being here. And thanks for listening. Woo! The other side. That's that's similar to how I realized while we were watching this Hellboy movie that I've been reading Hellboy comics for over two decades, which is nuts. There's only one thing I've been doing longer than that: reading Spider-Man stories. <laughs> All right, Matt, uh, last name withheld. So I think one thing that many of us learned from this movie is the importance of flashbacks in, mm-hmm. in cinema. So maybe this is a two-part question. Number one, what is a movie that does flashbacks well? And number two, maybe if possible, what would a crawdaddy flashback look oh, like? Oh, wow. Oh, wow, okay. You guys, I'll answer that last one. You, you guys answer the first part of the question. Oh, cool, thanks. Yeah. I mean, Memento is kind of all flashbacks, so maybe that counts. I don't know. It does flashbacks well. Uh, I mean, there's uh, certainly some flashbacks in The Lord of the Rings, so those are clearly done perfectly. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess Citizen Kane is sort of a bunch of interlocking flashbacks, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly what it is, That's a good movie. Some people might say it's the best movie. It's been said before. (laughs) And, you know, Crawdaddy, here's, I'll just lay out the Crawdaddy scenario for you. Crawdaddy is taking out his son's soccer team for pizza after the game, like a good dad, like a good peewee soccer coach. And he's like, ah, oh, well, boys, this, uh, all this pepperoni pizza reminds me of the time my own grandpappy opened that alligator sausage factory. And it would be a very touching scene of his, of his grandpappy going out to get new alligators for the sausage and tragically losing his life to Big Mama Gator, the biggest gator in the swamp. And Crawdaddy it comes back to Crawdaddy and he's like, I always promised grandpappy on his deathbed that I'd catch Big Mama Gator. But, you know, the job market took me elsewhere. <laughs> you boys want any more Zah? <laughs> Again, again, impenetrable 
<laughs> to people who have not heard the podcast before. Uh, I think I think they can pick up the again for people who have not heard the general premise. Crawdaddy grew up in the Louisiana Bayou, and now he Elliot's lives in currently the Connecticut. Providing a flashback. Yeah, and and he now he lives in the Connecticut suburbs. <laughs> Growing up in a shack in a bayou, a boy always had to watch himself and learn how to play fiddle real good. But now I gotta take advantage of this property tax deduction. <laughs> right. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, good evening, Peaches. Uh, Jaffer, last name withheld. Um, uh, if I may, uh, I'd like to thank Stuart for coming out to the game company withheld game center yesterday and playing some <laughs> games with us. We had a really great time. Thank you. Stuart, the, the listeners can't see you waving away the praise. You gotta say <laughs> oh, something. Wait. Uh, although I, I received a phone call from uh, Josh, our booking agent, and I was like, yeah, I'll talk to you after this. I'm in a game store playing some games. And he's like, Stuart's just in a strange town playing, <laughs> playing in a game store? Checks out. Uh, but I do have a real question, which is, uh, if you were to create a Mamma Mia-style jukebox musical around one artist or band, um, what artist or band would that be, and what would be your first act swelling I wish song? Ooh. I mean, I think mine would probably be Judas Priest. Because Judas Priest has three or four types of songs. They have pump-up power anthems. They have I Got Hurt by This Relationship songs. They got songs about monsters that kill people. (laughs) And then miscellaneous. Uh, And I guess, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, got another thing coming would be the first act. Because you know people are waiting for it too, you know. Get it out early. And then you can get to, like, uh, take these chains later on when the relationship falls apart. Well, as Stuart mentioned earlier, I have recommended Stop Making Sense at least four times on the podcast. (laughs) So, of course, my artist would be Carly Rae Jepsen. (laughs) And the song would be I Really, 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 Really Like You. And it would be about, I don't know, uh, a job being in uh, New York for a magazine, as it's in every romantic comedy. (laughs) According to romantic comedies, the magazine market is booming. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. And obviously, I would do a jukebox musical based on the works of Def Leppard. And in our opening pump-up sequence, Joe Elliott would be working at a baking school, and he'd be talking to a sentient uh, cake of some kind. (laughs) And the cake would, of course, be demanding that some sugar be poured on him. (laughs) All right, thank you very much. Thank you for the question. On that side now. Hi, it's me, Abby, last name withheld. Hi. Um, uh, Since this podcast doesn't have a rule against bummers, I do want to ask kind of a bummer question. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Uh, Let me check the rule book. It's a new rule that we're going to have from the future on. (laughs) This is how laws get made. No, that's fine. Yeah, you're right. Nothing in the rule book about bummers. <laughs> um, I know I can't watch Big Fish because I have a dead dad and it would bum me out too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other movies that I have watched and I'm like, well, I'm not going to watch that movie again because, you know, it's too, too real. Uh, are there any movies that either make you sad every single time you watch them or you're never going to watch again because they're too sad? Hmm. I mean, there must be. There are definitely movies I've seen where I'm like, I'm glad I saw that, but I don't feel the need to ever see it again. I'm trying to think of any specific ones, though. I mean, there's some movies that make me sad, like The Iron Giant, that I watch over and over again, but that's... Yeah, I don't... I mean, 
It's tough because, like, I don't have that kind of, like, oh, this was a personal experience that I had. Because you're kind of a cipher, a sociopath. Yeah. (laughs) You're a mask that hides nothing. What I don't, I mean, I'm, I see your human emotions and I copy them as best I can. You mirror them, yeah. But, (laughs) no, I just, I've had a very, like, look, I, I've been divorced, but, like, other than that, like, I've had a very, like, charmed life. I feel like I had a very... Like uh, you would almost say it's a semi-charm kind of life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, not legally, but... <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just skip to the end. I don't have like a personal thing that like I have that problem with. There are movies that I cry all the time at, but they're like movies that I love. Like I cry at the end of Raising Arizona, but those are like happy tears every time. Like Every yeah. single fucking time I see that movie, I listen to that last... Uh, monologue that mm-hmm. High has, I cry, but it's but it's not a personal thing or anything. Yeah, I mean, I think the movies that I've seen that I never will watch again are usually things that are uh, that, due to filmmaking techniques, end up giving me motion sickness. <laughs> so, like, I'll watch it once and I'll be like, I can't do this again. Like, I'm sorry, Requiem for a Dream. Maybe <laughs> multiple viewings will make me get the deeper meaning, but I mean, that's, no. that's like a feeling. Yeah. yeah, it's similar to what humans call emotions. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, like, since becoming a dad, there's definitely movies that, like, I think I would have been able to shrug things off in them that I can't shrug off now. And, like, I don't know if there are any Jewish people in the audience, but part of my Jewish education was being force-fed Holocaust movies at a very high rate. So yeah. there's a lot of, like, that people being like, we want you to understand your connection with this. And I'm like, I understand. I don't ever need to, I don't ever want to see this again. I, I... I, I, there was definitely a period of my life when I went through extreme depression, but the way that that manifested itself, one of the, not the only way, one of the ways that Starting manifest- a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then I got abused by my two best friends. Uh, no, uh, no, I... Best friends? I, 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 uh, the, one of the ways that depression manifested itself was actually like not being interested in movies at all anymore, a thing that I enjoyed very much, which started my uh, current trend of what I do to entertain myself, which is to listen to podcasts uh, through my earbuds while having a movie on mute on the television (laughs) and scrolling through Facebook. Which is a to pretty... To see, see if they'll all sync up. Some, yeah. Someday there's going to be a picture of you doing that in a museum and it's going to say, 21st century man. <laughs> and, anyway. then the, and the next caption will say, 22nd century man, none. I hope that was something. Wow, we, we, there's a lot of bummer stuff in there, but thank you. Okay, next question over here. Not good question. I like the questions that make us think and make uh, us feel. So, and I like this Chuck Jones uh, shirt that this gentleman has. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm also a fellow Earlham College Theater alum. What? I know. Wilkinson Theater. Yay. Anyways, um, my name now is... Now the audience is pandering to the host. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> um, so my name is Nick, last name withheld. So it seems like critics and people have really turned against the new Lion King movie, uh-huh. citing, you know, the dead eyes and just the creepiness of, of seeing these photorealistic lions. So my question for you is, what movie, what non-animal movie would benefit from being remade with photorealistic CGI lions? <laughs> kind of hard to narrow it down. I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe... Like Kramer Beauty. versus Kramer, I guess? <laughs> right? 
I'm thinking maybe Beauty and the Beast, except the Beast is man. Uh, I don't know. That that story already has a several problematic elements. I think that that does feel like that does feel like the thing that would have you at the end of a video you watch in school about the environment. And the true beast was man. Bum bum bum. I would Recycle say kids. I would say cruel intentions. <laughs> oh I yeah, I can it. see it. I've decided it's cruel. I intentions. can see it. Yeah, I see it. Uh, <laughs> what are you gonna say, like a manual? Let's make it. <laughs> what if it's Koyaanisqazi and the lions are just those fast motion people that you occasionally see? Just fast motion lions? Are they yeah. in cities still or are they yeah, just running through the cities. jungle? They're still in cities walking around doing lion business. I, okay, I will say this. I recently, because of something that was said on Twitter by a famous not going to be president candidate for president, I flipped my opinion on those Disney movies. I, like everyone else, was like, I miss the emotion of the characters in the old ones. I miss the color. I miss the vibrancy of it. And then I realized all of Disney's movies, for the most part, are remakes of other things. So I said, you know what? Why not, everybody? We're going to do 10 more of these in the next 30 years. Let's just go for it, you know? I like the argument that they're just doing it for money. It's like, uh, no kidding. <laughs> like, why do you think they made the first one, dudes? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think that's, yeah, Lion movies. Good job. All right. Oh, if I was a real dick, I'd be like, born free. <laughs> Roar. <laughs> what? Roar. Roar. <laughs> if you haven't seen Roar, it is the most buck wild movie. Go ahead and watch Roar. All right, over there, this yes. This gentleman who's already wearing one of our shirts. Uh, ben, first time writer, long time listener, last time withheld. Uh, if you were going, this podcast talks a lot about uh, movies that have terribly badly designed monsters mm-hmm. or other villains. If you were going to design a movie monster, how would you do it? I mean, it's hard for me to... And when the perfect movie monster design exists, it's the xenomorph, everybody. It's hard for me to compete. But when I was a kid, I'll tell you, whenever I was making a monster, I'd be like, I'm going to throw everything onto this. <laughs> So every monster had, like, wings, multiple arms, claws, multiple heads, horns, could breathe fire, shoot lightning bolts, sometimes multiple tails. I went through a Ghidra phase. He's got two tails. So I don't know what I would do now, but at the time when I was a kid, it would be, like, Ultra Monster. And then now I'm like, how would that monster move? How would it go there? I can't believe you didn't say Godzilla. What, the best monster design? Yeah. Have you he seen? He shaped kind of like my cat Muscles, <laughs> who, as we've established, is the greatest kitty. <laughs> He's kind of like a triangle, but with uh, stegosaurus spikes. That's amazing. I think that's what. Yeah, the best monster is a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most stable monster is a triangle. <laughs> uh, you know what? Like, I am very irrationally frightened of spiders. Um, that really because, separates like, you from a lot of other people. What? Yeah, you don't hear that a lot. I'm just saying, like, it's like, <laughs> I know it's not uncommon. It's just, per, like, it is true of me. Uh, and particularly living in North America, like, the worst I'm going to get is a black widow bite. And unless I'm a baby or an elderly person, I probably won't die of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you missed your shot as a baby, but it could still happen as an elderly person. I still, no, fingers crossed. But, um... <laughs> What I find, like, in a weird way, what I find even creepier than spiders. <laughs> so why didn't you bring up spiders? <laughs> no, 
No, it's all it's all related, my friend. Okay. It's all related. Let's not let him, as, let not, him weave his tapestry like Arachne herself. <laughs> not not a spider, but I believe also an arachnid. I believe. I may be wrong. <laughs> Again, he's attached these ideas with the thinnest of thread like a spider would. The daddy long legs freaks me the fuck out because it is a little ball with the longest spindliest legs that should not be able to like do anything and it's the weirdest goddamn thing. Oh, I think so the- if there was a giant fucking daddy long legs, I would kill myself. And I think the daddy part is the scariest part of that. That says more about me. That's the sexy part. (laughs) I will say, I did, once I was having, I was on my way to Dreamland a couple weeks ago, I was lying down and I was like, have they ever done a... Whoa, 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 let's back up. Yeah. So you're saying you were going to sleep. Yeah, I was going to sleep. (laughs) Very colorful (laughs) way of putting that. Dan, I like to vibrant up my language. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, I'll talk more like uh, the writer John McPhee in the most boring terms possible. So when I was lying down on top of what I assume was a layer of igneous rock beneath my house, and uh, I was like, I don't know why this thought entered my head. I was like, have they ever done a vampire movie where the vampire turns into a big human-sized bat and it has to scramble around on its arms, on the claws of its wings, like a real bat walks around? Yeah. Because that'd be super creepy, yeah. And there's like a person running away and it's just like scrambling after them with its wings like there, that. The, the, there was a miniature designed by a games workshop called a Vargolf that was basically that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, stealing I got an my... applause break for that somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, over here. Uh, hello, my name is uh, Andy, last name withheld, no relation. And uh, <laughs> I have been waiting to use that joke for months now. <laughs> it landed very well. It did it great. So uh, for me, the most exciting movie of 2019, and probably the most exciting movie of this decade, was uh, Detective Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure, finally the, the character in the genre that were meant to go together. Yeah, of course. Look, unless they make, like, a Metroid version of Dirty Harry, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, so the big thing for me with, with De- Detective Pikachu that really made it stand out was its world building and, and its ability to, to create, a, you know, a, a world and a city that... Where Pikachu could be a detective. Where Pikachu, where Pikachu could be a detective. There's nothing in the rule book that says a Pikachu can't be a detective. And I could be a, fr- I could be a friend of a, of a feraligator, which is Pokemon. It's a big gator. Okay. One might call it feral. I'm, sure my, I'm sure my son will tell me about it at some point. He's going through a big Pokemon phase. Uh, but it really created a world that felt like it existed outside of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so... I suppose my question is like, what are what are the the mo- movies that have kind of created a world t- to you that that has like kind of existed in your mind outside of like the story it was trying to tell? Hmm. Well, the first place you start with world building is the food. <laughs> <laughs> what does Pokemon eat? <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna interrupt. Lemon cakes. <laughs> It's, what it's what kind of what kind of size fowl would they eat? <laughs> Capons, perhaps. I mean, I could. I mean, kind of the. For me, it's a lot of the obvious ones, like your Star Warses and whatnot. Like where I was like, oh, I could live in this world and I could explore it and things like that. But also like the Dark Crystal when I was a kid. I was yep. there were certain parts of that movie where I'm like, 
I kind of want to leave the story so I can just go see what other creatures live in this place because I know they're out there. And I assume there's some book of designs of stuff that didn't end up in that movie. But I used to just like dream about that movie a lot and like walking around in it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the joys of like those heavy, uh, like physical, practical monster costume movies is mm-hmm. that it gives you that like lived in feeling that makes you want to just walk around and explore. Uh, to answer that, Lord of the Rings. Of course, <laughs> <not>. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go in like a non like fantasy direct, like another like aspect of. <laughs> you're like you're like oh, the mo- <laughs> my dinner the, with Andre. The movie. <laughs> I want to go. I want to know what's happening. I want to go to that restaurant. When I saw the movie The Post, and it created this whole world of presidents and war and foreign nations, and I just want to walk around. Like if only I could go to Vietnam and see what it's like there. <laughs> But such a, if only I had a magic movie ticket a la Last Action Hero. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, obviously they're the very, like, clear world-building uh, movies like your Star Wars or your Lord of the Rings or whatever. But, or like, Last Action Hero, like Elliot said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. But also, they're mo- like, uh, another aspect of that is characters that are so immediately well-drawn that you feel like, okay, they have like a life outside of the frame. Mm-hmm. And like I know that I mentioned Raising Arizona earlier, but I feel like Coen Brothers movies, like all they have all these like very like in some ways broad, but like so well defined, quickly minor characters, where it feels like, oh okay, we could follow this person and see what's going on with them and that that would be also an equally entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, kind of like uh, like Heller High Water from a few years ago, where it felt like every single side character had a full life outside of it. Yeah. So that's what I'll say. Heller High Water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Texas. What a world. <laughs> Don't mess with it, says people. Uh, okay, over here. Hi, Margaret. Last name withheld. Um, so I was listening to Jordan Jesse go this week, and Jordan came up with basically a perfect flophouse question. So I'm going to just channel him. He was talking about who would be the female Nicolas Cage, and his proposal was Hellboy star Mila Jovovich, which he did pronounce that way. Um, and so just I, like thank Jordan. you. <laughs> yeah. You so, saw my eye twitch. I, I love Jordan, but I do not agree. I don't think Mila Jovovich has the chops, so I became very curious about what you guys would think. Yeah. What would the female Nicolas Cage... I mean, this obviously... Is, I mean, the question is, yeah, by Nicolas Cage... Well, what, what do you say, Sorry, Because I, I have some... I'd I like mean, to define our terms here. <laughs> clearly, we want to pick an actor who can go kind of broad, but also have little nuances. I think the only choice is Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> Stewart. Yeah. Stewart. <laughs> Stewart. Meryl Streep. I mean, I, the one, the one that jumps to mind for me, but I wonder if she is like eccentric enough. It's like Melissa Leo, you know, um, where it's like, oh, she can do crazy, but also like very well-defined characters and things like that. But you're asking who's like a crazy person in movies. <laughs> You're asking who's like a person where half the time you're like, what are you doing? What's going on here? Yeah, to that end, Carol Kane. Oh, okay, yeah, I can see that. Because you see a movie like Hester Street, and you're like, this is an incredibly, like, richly drawn character. And then you yeah. see, what, like, Adam's Family Values or something? I don't know, you know. Yeah. She's a nut. And a national treasure. <laughs> I mean, Book of you, secrets. You know who I would... Or, I mean, this is not quite the same, but like, okay, talk, time for me to talk about old movies. There's, a, there's an actress who, from 
80 years ago named Zazu Pitts. And she was most known for these kind of short comedies that she did, but she's also in the movie Greed, and she is, like, amazing in it. And in this movie that is a strange and crazy movie, and her performance is very extreme and strange, but it's like the, this really gut-wrenching performance. But in most of her movies, she's the character who's like, like Amelia Bedelia, basically. So, you know, <laughs> okay, wash the baby, I guess, and puts the baby in a dishwasher or something like that, you know. We've gone as long as we probably should, but should we lightning round it? Should we like... Yeah, let's lightning round it, okay. yeah. Okay, let's be a lot faster. So my name is Doug, last name withheld. My son and, I, son and I have always gone to a lot of movies since he became a teenager. We've started enjoying seeing a lot of bad movies in theaters, so Rock Dogs and Hellboys and whatnot. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, he called me and said, Dad, should I see the movies of Neil Breen? So my question... Every parent hates to get that phone call. <laughs> well, the, the question is, am I a good dad? This is a very tough question. I, I wish we didn't have to do it in the lightning round. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to steal from The Simpsons. Short answer, yes with a butt. Long answer, no with an and. <laughs> I don't know, but you do better than that. Hi, uh, Mike, last name withheld. Uh, we're on our second adaptation of Hellboy. We're on our third, second Spider-Man movie right now. We're doing a lot of adaptations. That's been part of cinema. What do you feel makes a good adaptation, whether it's a book, uh, theater, video game, what have you? Two movies. This is not funny, per se, but I think that the person... Why start now, Dan? No. <laughs> Boom, he sets it up, I knock it out of the park. I make by living with comedy, sir. <laughs> and I'm baffled by it daily. Um, no, I, what was I going to say? Oh, um, <laughs> Something that wasn't funny. He said it himself. I think that it is the, like, either the, the, one of the driving creative forces, either the screenwriter or the director, finding some sort of, like, person, like, what they personally find interesting in the character or the story and like emphasizing that to the utmost, whether or not it is faithful to the entire story or character, but like like pulling out something that is essential and making that the center of the adaptation. That's what I was going to say. You find the defining spirit of why it works as, as the thing it is, and then you figure out how does that, how do you do that in this new medium? And you don't worry about like, uh, there's a reason that like, the credit sequence for Watchmen works really well, and the rest of Watchmen does not work quite as well. Yeah. And it's the credit sequence, it's like, oh, well, they kind of captured the spirit of what, what they're going for. And then the rest of the movie, you're like, wait, but we're going to watch the whole movie now? Like, yeah. You're like, they did it. Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, the, the thing that the adaptation that comes to mind is the third Harry Potter movie, where it is not, maybe not as true to the books as the first two but it is so much more interesting and watchable. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Let's lightning. keep lightning rounding it. We're not, do, we're not holding it up on our end, but, you know. Okay, fair enough. Uh, my name is Nick, last name withheld. And for the podcast, I'm not tricking. This, uh, there was already another Nick. Um, so in this movie, <laughs> forgive me, very nervous. Um, you know, Hellboy is asking Ian McShane, you know, he was sent there to Nazi Germany to kill him. Why did you save me? Why didn't you kill me? You had a job to do. Why didn't you kill me? And I feel like Ian McShane never really answered that question. No, I don't think he does. No, he just sort of uh, deflected by saying, why are you whining? 
Um, you know, I, I didn't ask to be a father. I did the best I could, but why do you guys think he saved him? I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it's, because it's, he, was a, he was a cute baby with a stone arm. Yeah. Was he, though? It's hard to shoot a little I mean, baby. You yeah, know? I think so. <laughs> they, people always say, like, well, could you kill Hitler as a baby? Because it's killing a baby. And it's like, I mean, probably, yeah. Cause, but, <laughs> as long as I knew it was the right baby. But, <laughs> but the reason that question exists is because it's hard to kill a baby. So... I mean, I you're probably he, able to. You're not the strongest guy, but, I mean, you're smart. I mean, if we're, if we're talking physically, it is a question. The baby might get the better of me. As, as someone who re- daily has to re- grapple with a baby just to get its diaper back on. <laughs> but I think yeah, that's I'm it. sorry about that. I just keep taking it off. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> but I think that's it. It's hard to kill a baby. Fair it's, enough. All right, we will uh, hit this quickly. Uh, Elliot, you've touched on this before with John Oliver and the Love Guru and how you've been paid to go out to dinner with him because of uh, the royalty. Well, he, he, paid, he paid for that dinner, and so I'm now complicit in the yep. movie that gave him the money to pay for it. So you touched on this earlier. Uh, one of my friends actually helped design the trolls in that fighting scene. He refuses to watch the movie because yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Do you have any friends or uh, experiences where you've worked on a movie and it's terrible and you refuse to be a part of it? Go for it. I, I have been lucky that I have yet to work on a project of any kind where I'm like ashamed of it or I think it was really bad, but there are two sides of me. There's the side of me that's a viewer that's like, check out this shit. How could they make this? They should all kill themselves. <laughs> and... There's the side of me that's a professional that's like, work is work. You gotta work. You need money to live your life. You need money to support your family. Any work is good work as long as you're not hurting anybody with it. As long as the thing you're not working on is not morally repugnant. So, like, I can't look down on anyone who worked on the movie because work is work. You've gotta work. And it's hard to find work in a creative business. That's a very, like, elder British actor mentality. Yeah. All the time they're like, how Like, uh, yeah, you want me to be a wind elemental? Fuck it. I, uh, yeah, and I, I, I'm not Hollywood Kalen. I have only worked on the one uh, television show, which I've been uh, happy with. Through. <laughs> what? You what? don't sound too happy. <laughs> I never do. Um, but uh, my friend Matt, who also uh, works at The Daily Show, uh, every semester we've got um, interns who come in and do great work for us. Uh, I think they're paid now. They weren't for a while. But uh, part of what uh, helps them out is we, each of the departments, gives them advice at the end of the semester. And um, Matt makes a point of, (laughs) he takes great joy, I think, in saying, like, oh, one of my previous jobs was blogger for Tosh.0. (laughs) So we all do, do stuff we're not proud of. Yeah, it's like you, the, if a friend of mine was like, should I take this job? It's on a movie that really... It's, I know it's going to be bad. I'll be like, do you need the job? Go for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You don't have to watch it. There's no rule that says you have to. I checked the rule book. Hello, uh, Nick. Last name withheld. Uh, first time, long time. A uh, lot of Nicks probably today. For, yeah. A lot of Nicks. Nick <laughs> Heavy for, City. Probably for Elliot more than anybody. Um, I know there was Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, and we watched a comic book movie for, for tonight. Um... Any comic book characters that you think should have a musical adapted from them? Probably Booster Gold. I mean, a a Booster Gold musical could work. I know that uh, uh, Madman creator Mike Allred is a real rock and roll guy. I'd love to see him like a Madman musical. Yeah. Um, 
But I don't know. Otherwise, it's like the musical. It's weird. Comic books are about a lot of them, not all of them. Superhero comic books are about characters with like big, big tights and colorful things, and like it should translate well to the big world of the musical. But the most successful musical based on a comic is Fun Home, and so like. <laughs> I don't know, maybe comics don't work that well as musicals unless they're about a real thing that you can actually sing about. I think it should be about everyone's favorite character, Speedball the Masked Marvel. Speedball is a good character. <laughs> that is a controversial idea, I thought and you were we'll talk say, about it later. I thought you were going to say Funky Winker Bean. <laughs> Hey, this is Nathan, last name withheld, and I think I'm burdened with asking the question that we're all thinking... Just a practical question about the movie. At the beginning, why didn't King Arthur just burn Mia Jovovich? This came Jovovich. up while we were watching it, I think. Yeah, while we were watching it. It was like, why didn't he just burn those parts? And what do you think, guys? I don't know how witches work. I don't know what's going through King Arthur's head. Didn't, didn't have any matches. I mean, like, I... Fair. I, That's actually a, pretty I good mean, point. he is a wizard. I bought a... I bought a smoker recently, and I didn't, I didn't have any matches, so... Uh. Something, here's something that happens a lot on Twitter, and they go, what a plot hole. They should have just done this, and it would have taken care of the problem. And it's like, if you study history, as I have as an amateur, uh, you see so many times in history where you're like, well, why don't you just do this thing, and it would have solved that problem. It turns out people are dumb, <laughs> and they're kind of short-sighted, and they, they don't always think of the right thing in the moment, you know? Yeah, like, uh, like a home invasion movie where people are like, Plot hole, why didn't the, the attackers just blow up the house? It's like, <laughs> then there wouldn't be a home to invade, I guess. Let's move over here. Um, no, I'm very flustered. Uh, Ian, last name withheld. We saw a uh, French Canadian zombie movie a while back in the theaters at a film festival. And at the end of the movie, post credits, after everyone else had left the theater, there's very inexplicably a parrot. And since then, we've always referred to uh, surprise endings at the end of movies as parrots. I was wondering if you have any uh, language that you picked up from movies for, that are unrelated to the movie itself, but you've carried the terminology into other, like if there's a moment that's stuck with you from a movie that you've incorporated as like an in-joke in conversation later. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, feel like yeah. that's the majority of the discourse of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Stuart, Stuart coined the phrase evidence dungeon, which is, <laughs> yes. which is a very useful it's term. on TV tropes now, I guess. <laughs> uh, another one, uh, one of my favorites was from the movie Jonah Hex, uh, where they introduce a character very briefly in a wrestling ring called the Snake Man. And so Snake Man is just an all-purpose any character who gets almost nothing to do in the movie but is far more interesting than the movie. Yeah, I think I, think I might start using tallest building in Pittsburgh as a <laughs> way to describe promises a movie makes that it does not fulfill. There's all, I will say, uh, sorry to cut you off, Dan, that uh, I just want to mention my favorite parrot ending in a movie, which is Citizen Kane, when a cockatoo just screams at the audience and Peter Bogdanovich asked Orson Welles, why did you do that? And Orson Welles said, late in the movie, wake the people up, movie's almost over. <laughs> And, and he has a transparent eyeball. Yeah, well, because it was a visual effect. They were optical yeah. processing, and, the, and you can anyway. see through the eyeball. There's also a movie there where at some one point, you can see in the background animated pterodactyl birds. Yes. Because they were reusing, reusing animation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Citizen K trivia. Anyway. Slightly pointed, but um, generally to all of you, I believe, Dan, you recently called yourself the averagest bodybuilder. 
So when you were here, <laughs> we had we had like a slight uh, Twitter invitation through Stuart to come and work out, and so I was wondering if any of the three of you were actually available to come work out tomorrow morning. To work out? Yeah. With I me mean, at my gym, which is where the invitation to <sighs> I should start again. was. So and which gym guys, is that? Los Campiones. Los Campiones. Okay. Anybody well, know it? Anybody? That's a little right. bit of pressure. Yeah. Uh, since little we bit, may... little bit, little bit more peer pressure. Anybody know it? Wow. I mean, Anybody know of it? Come Wait, on, hold on, help hold me on. out, people. Wait, help me on. out, people. Now, help my, me out. Now, my buzz I, marketing for the gym. I, now, I would. No, just, I, just generally peer pressuring. That's how I live my life. I would take you up on that offer, but the year where I decided I would say yes to everything ended yesterday. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. If you would ask me yesterday, I would have to Stuart? say yes. Oh, maybe. come on. Oh. Maybe. Come on, guys. It's, this is not the place for me to make any kinds of commitments. Can I, can I wait at the merch? Can I wait at merch? Yeah, we'll talk, yeah. Yeah. The merch. We'll talk more merch. We'll make up reasons why we can't do it at merch. <laughs> quick, 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 everyone. Right. Okay, we got two more questions. Let's get through them real fast, which means I'm going to talk for a while. Let's go. All right. Uh, Chris, last name withheld. So what would best serve a Hellboy movie, like in terms of story? It would be a mix mash of stuff, like say like Wake the Double, Chain Cough, and Hellboy Mexico, or just be like one story arc? I think one of the big flaws with this movie is they tried to cram in all these different story arcs. So, like, you just pick one story arc or an original story, but like we were saying, you just gotta capture that what's the spirit that makes the book exciting? And then what makes the book exciting is not like, you know, Motley Crue songs blaring while you're reading this comic book or something. I mean, unless, I don't know, maybe you love the crew, but I don't the, know. The, the, the comics have always struck me as these kind of like tragic gothic horror stories where Hellboy is just in a way, almost like a spectator as he is an active participant. So, like, the idea of jamming in a whole bunch of stories and throwing a crazy soundtrack doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, Hellboy is, in a lot of ways, a passive character, which doesn't make for movies in some ways. Like, he often enters the situation, and like Stuart says, he witnesses things going on, and then he has a fist fight with a monster, and then that's the end of the story. <laughs> and it kind of reaches its apotheosis in the Hellboy in Hell series where... He is, a lot of it is just him hearing stories of, that people in hell are telling. And then at the end, he defeats Satan kind of on the last page. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's the spirit. They got to capture the spirit, you know? Not the movie, the spirit. That, which, which itself failed to capture the spirit of the spirit. One last question. Hey, so I'm new to the Flophouse, but I love MST3K. Thank you. And for Elliot, I just want to ask... How has consistently watching terrible movies affected your health? Are you okay? I mean, not great. I'll tell you that. Elliot's it's a- only 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the affected is... state, maybe? It's like, I don't know about it. Well, there, there's, there's a thing that happens when you watch too many bad movies, which is you kind of forget what a good movie is like, and you start to yearn for the pain of a bad movie and think that's what pleasure is, and you have to, like, really detox by watching, like, good movies. And so I would find myself, like, having to watch a Flophouse movie at the end of a day of, like, watching Atlantic Rim ten minutes at a time over, every ten minutes over and over again to write jokes for it. And then I'd come home and I'd be like, I don't have time to watch something that I'm going to enjoy. And then that weekend I'd be like, 
I gotta watch one of the 30 movies I recorded off Turner Classic Movies. And then I watch it and it's like, you feel a shock for a moment because you're waiting for the parts that you're gonna laugh at because it's so bad. And then it, you have to like realize at a certain point, like, no, no, I have, to, I'm gonna enjoy, I have to enjoy this on a sincere level. And that's when you know you've gone too far. But I would say my physical health is affected far more by having two children than it is by watching the bad movies. <laughs> oh, and as the son of Doug, last name, I'm sorry, I'm new. I forgot what the, the thing is. Yeah. That's all right. It's, it's a Bullshit. dumb thing anyway. Yeah. And I, I forgot to say my name, too. I'm Wiley. Uh, <laughs> as the son of Doug... <laughs> I hope your name is Wiley, son of Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Wiley, Doug, son? Uh, Wiley, son of Doug? We've oh, heard tales, the legend's yes. foretold. Uh, <laughs> he misrepresented me slightly. It was not, should I watch the movies of Neil Breen? It was, I love Neil Breen, please buy me all of his movies. Oh, oh no, okay. I can't support buying his movies. I mean, the he's thing is... He's a horrible, is, horrible man, but He's hilarious. a bad man, but his movies are a certain kind of wonderful. <laughs> Some kind of wonderful, you Sometimes, would say. Yo, yeah, I guess. Uh, here's, here's if, I, if my son said to me, he called me from, I don't know, college or something, and he's like, Dad... Should I watch now, why is Sammy in college? Because uh, he's like Doogie Howser. He's a six-year-old okay. who loves co- who's good for college. Uh, this is in the future when he's six. Uh, if, he's, if he called me and he said, Daddy, should I watch the Neil Brain movies? I would say, not until I get there. And I would get in my car and I'd drive there right away. Okay, well, that's kind of an adorable note to end on. <laughs> we have gone way too long because we are soft-hearted and wanted to talk to all of you. And we can talk to all of you a little bit more. At, we're going to have a merch table out there. We promise that we'll be there at the merch table as soon as we can uh, clean up and like <laughs> pee and whatever. As he waves at the one laptop the on, one the t- on, the, on the stage. As soon as we can no, hit, deal with all the this. digital recorder from the sound guy. Uh, so there's a couple <laughs> things. Like We're going to be at the merch table, and then probably afterwards, some percentage of the flop house will be at the bar next door. From 33% to 100%, depending on how tired people are. And who knows? We may get scared into working out tomorrow. Yeah. So some of us might be there. It's the one that's not a Mexican restaurant. Otherwise, thank you so much. The one that's not going to be there is the one that's not a Mexican restaurant? Yeah. Which uh, one of us is a Mexican restaurant? <laughs> we'll figure that out backstage. Uh, thank you so much. Minneapolis, that's the name of the city we're in. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the Parkway for having us. Everyone here has been great. I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.